0: Hey friends, it is so good to have you join us again today. My name is Clay Munkus and I'm the lead pastor here at Next Level Church. And today we are kicking off a short little series that we call Sweet Little Lies. And I think it will be really helpful for us because Uh, If we're ever going to live the life that God wants us to live, we have to begin to uncover and unpack some of these little lies that we've kind of bought into during our life. Because when we live these lies, it impacts the way we think, which then obviously impacts the way we live and that impacts the way we behave. And our behaviors can get us into a lot of trouble, right? And so today, it's Father's Day, and I know there are a lot of men out there who struggle with this first little lie that we're going to look at in the series. But I also know that it's not just men who struggle with this. There are plenty of women who struggle with this tiny little lie as well this lie it can start off at any age and no one is immune to it and sadly social media can be like throwing gas on a fire for this it's caused relationships to crumble and it's caused people's health to suffer and many other devastating consequences and that sweet little lie that we're going to start this series off is this just a little more will make me happy just just a little more will make me happy So today, what I want to start talking about is the power of this thing called it. The power of it. And most everyone, uh, especially everyone watching this right now, we have spent a lot of our life chasing after it. In confession time, I've really thought uh, for a lot of my life, if I could just get it, things would be different. If I could get it, I might have more peace. If I could get it, then I would finally be happy. I've chased after it, and I bet you've chased after it too. And a few years back, uh, while I was working in the business world, I actually got it. And, and here's what I learned. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be, right? <laughs> There's an actual term for that in our culture today. It's called buyer's remorse. When you buy it, but doesn't. It doesn't pay off in the way that you thought it was going to pay off. Because once you get it, then you have to take care of it. And once you get it, you have to manage it. Sometimes you got to organize it, right? Uh, You start to worry about it because people will want to borrow it. And while they have it, you're worried about what they're doing with it. You think a lot about it. Now, it's very important for you to understand there's nothing intrinsically wrong with it. It's not evil. It isn't even wrong. The problem with it is that a lot of times we make it more than it should be. And the good news for us is that Jesus actually had quite a lot to say about it. Let's look at something in Luke chapter 12. And for context, Luke tells us that when this is going on, there are many thousands of people gathered to listen to Jesus teach. And he's teaching on the nature of God and the warnings of being legalistically religious. And he's also sharing just how much God cares for each of us as individual people. And at some point, someone in the crowd just kind of blurts out something that seems so disconnected from everything he was talking about. You ever encountered that? But Jesus uses this interruption to speak to something that everyone has dealt with and everyone today is still dealing with. And it's found in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. It says, Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide my father, our father's estate with me. Now, as you dig a little bit deeper into understanding what's going on in this story, uh, there's a guy who's saying to Jesus basically, Hey, my brother has it, and he's not sharing it with me, and I want Now, in the time of Jesus, there was a Jewish law that said that the firstborn gets a double portion. All right, They get twice as much. And the younger brother feels pretty helpless in this case. And not only is the eldest son getting his double portion, but it appears that he's taking the whole thing. So the younger brother, out of frustration, he's going to Jesus and he says, Look, I need some help on this. So let's go back to our story. Verse 14. So this guy blurts out all this, Jesus, I need your help. And Jesus replies, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. This is a really interesting phrase. Beware, guard against. That's pretty strong words that Jesus is using here. And I think what Jesus is getting at here is the power of it. Because the temptation of it, the temptation or the sin of greed is different from a lot of other sins. He's saying, beware. He says, watch out because Jesus knows what happens with greed. He knows greed can kind of sneak into your life and you can be greedy and not even realize that you're greedy. You, you can't see greed in the mirror. And he's saying, hey, beware, watch out, guard against greed. And I think the reason right here is the sneakiness of greed. That's why I think Jesus talked about money so much. Outside of the topic of the kingdom of God, Jesus talked more about money than he did any other topic so let's keep reading so he says beware guard against every kind of greed life is not measured by how much you own that's a great statement right there so he goes on to tell a story then he told him a story a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops and he said to himself what should i do i don't have room for all of my crops then he said yeah i know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So you got this guy. He builds a barn, and he has so much stuff he can't fit it all in the barn so he builds another barn and this is one of those stories that speaks right into our society today we have a lot of stuff in fact we have so much stuff often we don't know what to do with our own stuff an interesting statistic that i found because uh, what has happened is we have so much stuff we collect so much stuff that we started to build bigger houses and this is interesting in 1950 the average house size in the u.s was 983 square feet. I want you to think about that. On average, 983 square feet housed 3.37 people. Now, today, in 2023, the average house is 2,164 square feet and averages 2.7 people. That means we have more than twice the space in the houses than we did in 1950 to store all of our stuff. But it's still not enough stuff, right? Because somebody said, well, maybe I could keep some of my stuff out in the garage. So we just started putting our stuff in the garage. Another interesting statistic, about 70% of US Americans cannot park their car in the garage because they have too much stuff. So stuff, right? And that wasn't enough room. The garage is enough room. So some people came along and said, hey, we can create space and rent the space to people so they can store their stuff. And so the self-storage business was born. And now you can rent space to keep your stuff that you don't necessarily like or want to see on a regular basis so that when you miss your stuff, you can go visit your stuff at this space That you rent. It seems crazy. And you know how many square feet in the U.S. alone, just in the U.S., how many square feet is rented out in the self-storage business? 2.04 billion square feet. Let me show you how big that is. This is a map of Charlotte right here, and I mapped it out. This is how big 2.04 billion square feet is. Imagine that all of this area in Charlotte is just one giant storage place. Crazy, right? Just to keep all your stuff. And the self-storage business is still the fastest growing area of commercial real estate in the country. It's unbelievable. So again, Jesus is talking about this guy. He has so much stuff. He doesn't know what to do with all this stuff, right? And we should all be able to identify with this. So he decides, hey, I'm going to build all these bigger barns. And then Jesus wraps up the story with this, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, is the point of the story that Jesus is telling that you shouldn't have it? Is the point of the story that you shouldn't have nice stuff or that you shouldn't want nice stuff? No, that's not the point of the story. When you go all the way back to creation, part of being a human being is that we have stuff, right? Think about it. When God puts Adam in the garden, he gives him some stuff. There's animals. There's a garden. He's supposed to cultivate the stuff. He's supposed to multiply the stuff. This is even before Eve. Now, Adam discovered that that stuff, it, wasn't enough. And so Eve comes into the picture. And God tells him, hey, you're designed for community. Having it, having stuff by yourself, isn't enough. The need you have is the need in the context of community. But it wasn't that having it was wrong. In fact, the Eighth Commandment says, do not steal. It doesn't say you shouldn't have stuff. It says you can have stuff, you just can't take other people's stuff, right? That's the point. Part of being a human being is having stuff. And the point of this parable is not that you shouldn't have nice stuff. What Jesus is trying to get to is the bottom of several different lies that you and I have bought into when it comes to chasing after things. And so I want to spend the rest of our time kind of unpacking what some of those lies are, and then we're going to get to some positive things as we get to the bottom of all of this. And the lie number one that I want to look at is this: more of it will give me more security. All right. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to his younger colleague Timothy, who's over the church in Ephesus. And he says this in 1 Timothy 6:17: Teach those who are rich in this world. Now, question: who's rich? We've talked a lot about this, but I feel like I always need to remind us. It is a great reminder. We are rich. All of us are rich. Remember, if you have a car, you're in the top 6% of wealth in the world. If you own a house, you're in the top 3% of wealth in the world. Many of you watching me right now, whether you're online or here in person, you're in the top 1% of wealth in the world. When he says, teach those who are rich in this world, let's be honest, this is us. What? Does he want us to know? What is he teaching us? All right, so it says, Teach them not to be proud and not to, and here's the word, trust, it says, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. He's talking to the early church, and and there are people who are sold out for Jesus. They've been through more persecution than most of us will ever go through, and yet what Paul is warning them is hey, be careful there's still this tendency over time for you to begin to lean into your stuff, lean into it, because you begin to think about more of it, and you think it can provide you some kind of hope. He says, whatever you do, don't put your trust in it. Put your trust in God, because it just isn't going to do it for you. All right. So he says, don't put your trust and hope in it. You ever had this conversation? I mean, Joey and I have had this conversation numerous times in our marriage, kind of maybe embarrassingly a number of times where we're making X amount of dollars, and we say to ourselves, oh, if we could just make this amount over here, then everything would be so much less stressful, right? If we made this amount of money, we wouldn't stress over all those bills and over all that stuff. And then guess what happens? Well, at some point in our life, we start making that same amount of money. Did it resolve all of the issues? No, none of them. What, what, so what he is saying here is, listen, Paul is saying, don't lean into it. Don't start to think this stuff can give you something it can't give you. Lie number two. More of it will give me more peace and happiness. If I just had more, then I'll be happy. I'll have peace. There is zero correlation between money and peace. Zero. Ecclesiastes, the writer there, says this in five, chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And it's true, right? There are a few things that we worry about more than we worry about money. We worry about not having enough money, and then we worry about how we can obtain more money. And once we obtain it, we worry about how we're going to manage it and how we're going to spend it and how we're going to save it and how we're going to protect it, right? And then we start thinking, well, what, um, to help me keep from worrying about having money, To stop worrying, I'm just going to get more money. And then we get more money. And then what do we think about? Well, getting more money. And it's just this vicious cycle that we get on. And when Jesus says, hey, it's better to give than it is to receive. Well, guess what? He really meant that. He really did. It wasn't like some cute phrase that he came up with to be stuck on Christmas cards, right? When he said, it's better to give than to receive, he meant it. And what he's saying there is, listen, you will like your life a whole lot more if you'll spend more time thinking about how you can give instead of spending more time thinking about how you can get, right? The more you think and strategize about how you can give, the more happiness, the more peace that you begin to experience. So that's the second lie. The third lie. More of it will make me more generous. I know a lot of us have bought into this one right here. I think this is one of the greatest Illusions that is out there about money. We think the only reason that we're not generous is because things are just kind of tight right now. And we dream and we fantasize about, man, if I won the lottery, well, I would just bless a lot of people. You know, I'll do this and I'd do that and I'd send all my friends on some luxury thing, blood ever, and I'd take care of this. You start fantasizing about all these things you'd do if you had more money. But it's one of the greatest illusions that's out there because the reality is the more of it that you get, the harder it is to give it away. One of the single most reliable statistics when it comes to finances, and this has been true for decades upon decades, lower-income people give a higher percentage of their income away than people with more wealth. Why? Because the more you get, the harder it is to give it away. Don't fool yourself. If you're not generous with $21,000, you will not be generous with $41,000. And if you're not generous with $41,000, what in the world makes you think you're going to be generous when you have $141,000, $241,000? It doesn't get easier. It becomes more difficult. If you can't be generous with what you have now, chances are you'll not be generous with more. Now, all of that is kind of admittedly the dark side of what happens when you look into it giving you something that it can't give you. But there really can be a glorious side to having it. So let's kind of turn the page and let's look at that. Because there was a community 2,000 years ago that changed the world because of what they did with it. The book of Acts tells us all about the early church and what they were doing. And in Acts chapter 4 gives us incredible insight into the spirit of generosity that this community had. So verse 32, it says this. All the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now, that story just is kind of crazy. That's crazy generosity they had. There were no needy people among them. And, And to me, that's amazing. Now, behind that amazing testimony of the early church is something called a habit. They developed a habit of generosity. Uh, One of the best books that that I've read in in a long time is a book called The Power of Habit. And in it, Charles Duhigg talks about something called a keystone habit. And he says a keystone habit is different from every other habit. And this is what he defines as a keystone habit. It's a habit that sets off a chain reaction of other habits. Right? So this habit starts other habits. One of the examples he gives of a keystone habit uh, is a, a habit you can change. Is kind of the habit uh, in the area of physical health. The keystone habit that is interesting to me was journaling what food you eat. And what he said is people who journaled every single thing they ate for three weeks discovered that journaling about your food was in fact a keystone habit because it started to affect other habits in their life. People who were just journaling what they were eating, then they started to plan their menus differently. They started to obviously eat differently. They started to exercise more, which was never even the goal in the study. It was just kind of this natural overflow again of a keystone habit, how it impacted all these other habits. And I bring that up Because I think what is going on in the book of Acts, what we're seeing in this insight is a keystone habit in the life of the early church. As they developed this unprecedented generosity, not only did it impact what they gave, but as the keystone habit of generosity was practiced, it impacted all other things in their life. Through this habit, God transformed people's attitudes and behaviors all of the result of this pattern. And what we see over and over in the early church is they have this habit of generosity. But we also see it affected other things. They started to depend more on God. They started to overcome selfishness, meaning they began to see other people's needs instead of their own. They started to love more effectively. John Ortberg uh, says it was the generosity of the early church that absolutely staggered people outside of the church. It wasn't so much what the early church believed, Right? What they believed was important, but what people outside the church noticed was the way in which they were generous. People outside the church were like, look, I don't know if I believe what these people believe. I don't know that I believe uh, in, in their ideas, because some of their ideas are kind of wacky, You know, this whole Jesus guy. But man, I'm sure glad that they're in this community, because our city needs a community like this, full of people who are generous like this. And so as I thought about this, I wondered, how could we be generous like that? How can we be generous like a keystone habit? What if we became a community of unprecedented generosity? So that when people thought about Next Level, they would say, oh yeah, that's the church. Like, I've heard about them. They are crazy generous with their stuff. How does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen by chance. Like, I've never met anybody who just drifted into generosity, okay? Here's Two choices I think we can all make, especially if we want to cultivate the habit of generosity. And the first one is this share often. Share often. All right, here's a great question. I want everyone tomorrow morning when they wake up and every day this next week, all right, I want you to begin your day with this question What can I share today? As you wake up, hey, maybe in a prayer, God, what can I share today? That simple. And just see what happens. See where God kind of goes with that. What can I share today, God? I mean, how's it going to be? Maybe somebody needs a car, and you share your car for a day or a week, right? And the whole week long, you're just thinking, wow, I I am so blessed. I even had a car that I could share. Or, Or maybe it's meals. Maybe you've noticed that when you cook a meal for yourself or your family, like there's some food left over. Maybe you're a really good cook, or maybe you're not, I don't know. But you got food left over. What if instead of throwing that away, you just kind of packaged it up neatly and you took it to somebody next day at work and said, hey, I just wanted to share this meal with you. Like, I just want to share. I want to be generous. Then you can be thankful about how, uh, like, God, I, I am just so blessed, right? I, I have so much food, I can't even eat all of it. Look, I'm going to share it with other people. Or what if you got generous with your home, right? What if you got generous with your money, you could, maybe this week, right? You could share. Here's, here's a crazy thought. What if you shared the remote? Now, <laughs> I don't want to get anything really radical about that, right? Uh, but seriously, ask the question, what can I share? And let me tell you guys. You, you guys inspire me in this area. As a church, you inspire the heck out of me. Uh, I was talking with someone just a couple of months ago, and they were telling me how they met a family in a Walmart parking lot who were uh, needing some help in housing. They had one of those signs. So at first, they just went and got them a pretty large gift card to Walmart, and then they took them and they put them up uh, in a room in a hotel for a week. During that week, they spent it kind of checking out their story, kind of seeing if it was true. Once they verified it was true, they went and found a house down in Monroe, and they rented it for them until they got their life back on track and in order. Just last week, our auto repair ministry gave a car away to a single mom That was needing some reliable transportation. And not too long ago, a family in our church, they were kind of going through a tough time. And the members of this guy's life group got together and came up with enough money to pay their next month's mortgage payment so they could have some breathing room. We've had people give up their cars, let people stay in their rental homes. By entire Christmases for families, you guys are absolutely inspiring. To the degree that we share our stuff, it's the to that degree that I think God will continue to use us in this community. So share often. Ask that question: What can I share today? Second thing: Give regularly. Give regularly. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, On the first day of each week, you should set aside a portion of the money that you've earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. What's happening there in the early church is they're kind of teaching this idea of regular generosity. They're teaching the concept of percentage giving. If you grew up in the church, you probably remember hearing words like tithe, and people would talk about 10%. Like it's, it's often preached in this very heavy, legalistic kind of way. And uh, I I don't think uh, this is a you got to do this kind of thing. I think when it comes to giving, it's a you get to do this, right? You, You guys know that I'm not a hardcore on this whole idea of 10%, but I do think you need to pick a percentage and give that percentage on a regular basis. And if you're in a situation for some reason and you can't give 10%, then give 2%, give 5%, give 6%, but pick a percentage and give it on a regular basis. And the reason that I say that is because the Bible teaches percentage giving, and giving is vital. Because again, it's this idea, nobody drifts into generosity. If you want generosity to become a keystone habit in your life, you can't wait to feel generous, to be generous, right? If you'll learn to share often, if you'll learn to give regularly, become a percentage giver, God will use you in very powerful ways let me ask, what, what if God used you like he did the people in the early church? What if you could experience the things that you read about in the book of Acts? God is already doing that through a group of people here at Next Level. And every week you get to hear some of those stories as Doug stands on the stage or I stand on the stage and tell you about what God is doing through our giving. And God could be doing those same things through you. Just like it happened 2,000 years ago, it can happen again for you today. And all that has to happen is for you to realize, just like they did, that it really isn't ours. It is His. All of it. Yes, all of it is His, which means all of it is a gift. Hey, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you uh, for the incredible reminder of how we've been created to have it. You've wired us in such a way that we like to manage it and we like to cultivate it and there's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with having stuff but you've also reminded us today that there is this capacity inside each and every one of us to start to look to that stuff and to ask it to give us something that it can't offer us. And God, if we're honest today, whether it be somebody watching online or somebody right here in our Matthews campus, the reality is for every one of us, we have this tendency to want to start to look to our stuff to define our purpose, define our identity. We start to think that if we could just get more of it, we'd have more peace, more happiness. And yet you remind us today in your word that nothing could be different, right? That it's truly better to give than it is to receive that we will find peace and happiness and purpose in our life when we begin to spend more time focusing on how we can give it away, instead of focusing on how we can get more of it. God, I pray that we continue to be a generous church. I pray that when people think about Next Level Church, that they think about this unprecedented generosity. They may not uh, agree with everything we believe. But they'll be thankful that there's a church, that there is a community like this in their city. Help us understand that stuff is not ours. It's yours. And it's in your name that you have given it to us to steward. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, friends, thanks for joining us today. If you think today's message might be valuable to someone you know, would you mind sharing this video? Not only could it be helpful for them, but by sharing this content as well as liking and subscribing to this channel, you help us accomplish our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. And like we uh, ask you every single week, it kind of fits with this message right now, I know. Uh, Would you mind heading over to our website, nextlevelchurch.org? There you'll see a big green give button in the top right. If you'll click that uh, and choose one of those giving options there, your faithful support helps us raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. And by way of benediction, uh, let me end with something that Jesus uh, said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. May you recognize that everything you have is a gift from God. Everything is His and life is not measured by how, and life is measured by how generous you are with what he has done. Hey guys, next week we're going to continue in our series, Uh, Sweet Little Lies, service starts at 10. I want you to invite someone to join you. We'd love to see you next week at Next Level. Have a blessed week, and I'm praying for you.